And you can't judge yourself based on like the decisions you made based on the data you had at the time, right? Like that's the beauty of our past decisions, right? Like yeah. at those times, this was our data. This was our exposure. This is what the culture we grew up in. Welcome to On Your Terms with Aaron King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Aaron. Well, have you ever met someone who, when you see them reinventing who they are, their personal brand, what they're focused on, what they're excited about, you just wonder to yourself, how the heck do they keep doing that without losing momentum on their career and in their personal and professional lives? Well, today's guest is one of those individuals. A dear friend of mine for the last five years, he has innovated, reinvented, launched new podcasts, new keynotes, new content on a near daily basis. And he's one of my ultimate heroes when it comes to just feeling inspired and brave that it's okay to change our mind. It's okay to try new things. And most importantly, it is more than okay to dive full on headfirst into a brand new space, no matter how old we are or no matter what is going on. Today's guest is the one and only Mr. Brian Banzo. Brian's a digital futurist keynote speaker who's really immersed himself in the web 3.0 world. He is a creator and who has launched his own creator coin, the ADHD coin. He's launched his own NFTs and he is the host of the daily top 25 NFT podcast, NFT365. Brian's a leading authority on all things Web 3.0. He's a thought leader who's worked in cybersecurity and who has worked in digital marketing and innovation in across 76 different countries for the last 15 years. Most importantly, Banzo has an incredible core principle that we is greater than me. I adore Brian and we first met at the National Speakers Association six years ago. And since then I've been following his trajectory on everything from social media, personal branding to digital marketing, and now playing in the NFT and cryptocurrency space. He is truly a digital futurist through and through. And in today's conversation, we talk a lot about how you can pivot how you can reinvent and what it takes to really expand and broaden your network at scale without sacrificing your values, your mission, and who you truly authentically are at your most deepest essence. All right, friends, this is an excellent episode with a lot of energy and a lot of fire. So saddle up and have a listen to the one and only Mr. Brian Fanzo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. I'm Erin King, and today, I have to be honest, I am so pumped because one of my favorite humans on the planet, and I know I say this a lot, you guys, but I promise you, hand to the sky, this man is one of the few people I have ever met that can not only match my energy, but make me feel like an introvert, which does not happen very often because he is just fire. He is the ultimate multi-passionate, multi-hyphenate. We've been dear friends for over five years now. We have traveled the world. We've gone to events together. We share so many rich relationships with the most incredible people on earth. And really today, I'm excited to bring him on the podcast because when it comes to living life truly, truly on your terms, this guy has reinvented whenever he feels that the lane he is flying in is no longer serving who he truly is at his essence. And so friends, seriously saddle the F up because this is going to be a ride. Big warm welcome to my dear friend, my digital twin, my OG bud, Mr. Brian Fanzo. Welcome to the show. 
Well, thanks for having me. I know you said digital twin. You like the twin side is, uh, you know, we match energy and passions and uh, excited to be on the show. You know, I, I don't mind that you tell everybody that they're your favorite because I'm your favorite for this episode. That works for me. So let's uh, <laughs> let's get into it. Oh, and I love that you're wearing your Laguna hat and your OAR shirt. It's perfect oh, yeah. for, for our friendship. Okay, cool. So here's the thing. You have, I've been watching you on social media um, the last couple of months. And as I told you before we hit record, I, I hate to admit, I don't know exactly when you made this huge pivot, this huge reinvention in terms of your focus. You and I both, uh, for the last 10 years plus, our pedigree, our brand has been really rooted in social media digital marketing, personal branding. That's both of our pedigree. It's our client list. That's been our expertise. I've pivoted to more of like the sales, leadership, general communication route. You've doubled down on everything from NFTs to cryptocurrency. But I don't want to talk about crypto and NFTs. I want to talk about that moment where you were kind of operating. You know, you're a dad. You have all these daughters. You're an incredible dad, incredible friend. You know a million people. You're always going 90 miles an hour. But at some point... You recognize that the path you were chasing maybe wasn't exactly what still served you for who you were becoming. And so what was that like from a decision-making standpoint? Like, What was that shift in your mind where you started to kind of look at the signs and really gather the courage and the strategic thinking of like, well, how do I reinvent again in a way that makes sense for me and my family? Well, you know, I think, you know, as speakers, you know, we, we were actually together when kind of the world stopped, right? And in with the pandemic. And I think, you know, for me, since I left college, my, you know, I, my first job out of college was working UPS for about a year. And then every job I've had ever since. So for the last, you know, pretty much 18 years, I've traveled 40 plus weeks a year. So for me, so much of what I did online, so much of what I, I always had done, which is kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm running with the flow, creating content. And what happened for me was that pandemic was, of course, we all shifted to virtual speaking. You know, we started, you know, our business model switched. But what I found was a couple character flaws, right? One of them probably being more so than anything else. I wasn't very good at taking care of myself or rewarding myself or like pampering myself because I kind of allowed the road to do that, right? We get upgraded for hotels and upgraded for airfare. And so I, I got to the spot where, I was like kind of like losing a lot of where I could get my energy and social audio, like Clubhouse and, and Twitter spaces really kind of uh, captivated me. And it made me kind of re-examine what I was looking at online. Like what was my, what was the things I cared about digitally, right? And I, I've always kind of had the saying, like my focus as like a futurist is the harmony between tech and humanity. I love to talk mental health, love, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a big ADHD advocate. I'm a, you know, ally in many ways. And so when I started to think about it, I kind of took a step back. I realized I live my life that way in almost every aspect, except for what I was really doing online. And I kind of looked at it and said, okay, what, what does community mean for me? What is, what is this newfound like web three concept mean for me? Mm -hmm. And I realized there was opportunity for me, A, to be an early adopter again, which that like dopamine drug of being an early adopter is like, yeah. is one of my favorite highs, right? I just love if no one knows what works or what doesn't, I love going and breaking it and then helping others, you know, figure it out. And so all of that kind of combined allowed me to look and say, like, I, I'm not a financial guy. So cryptocurrency bored me to death. I was like, no, thanks. I don't even care about that. Right. Okay. NFTs, I made fun of I, a picture whenever the Bored Apes launched. 
I said, why are these guys bragging about their $400 monkey photos? Like literally, that was, <laughs> I was in the room the day that many of them turned those into hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. But wow. for me, the, the aha actually stemmed back to the technology that I had been talking about for years, which was like the fundamental concept of blockchain, which doesn't really matter for this uh, conversation. But what I realized was this technology that I loved that allowed transparency online, allowed us to provide this kind of ownership finally was at a place where adoption was starting. And so I did, I, you know, I leaned in mostly at first as kind of like a addicted to educating, right? Like really learning and listening. And, and it was partially because I've been an early adopter a lot, but I made a mistake a lot as an early adopter. You have to learn from those mistakes, right? At least we have to tell ourselves we are. And one of the mistakes I made was I often put brands and my clients ahead of my own, like, brand building in the early adoption phase. And, and like, you know, as speakers, as you know, anyone that's kind of one to being a thought leader, it's great to help brands in the spaces. It's great to help our clients. But for me, I hadn't done anything that was like, what is, what is pushes the limit for me? And I remember, I believe it was Google plus. And I remember thinking, you know, there's some people that do a lot of daily content. Uh, John Lee Dumas had launched his daily podcast. I remember thinking that was genius. And so I got to a point where I said, you know what, if I believe in this and I want to do it, I need to go all in. And I went all in. I did a daily podcast uh, for 365 days. I bought an NFT every day. Uh, I built my team from two to 13 people in a matter of 60 days. And that was all in a matter of, you know, about 16 months from when the world locked down to where I was like, you know what, I'm all in. And, you know, now it's been about a year and a half for me, it's the next chapter. But if you look back in my career, this is my MO and it's kind of always been my MO. Okay. Let's unpack this a little bit. So first of all, do you think that the first mover advantage awareness that you have, which is I think higher than the average bear, do you think that that is nature or nurture? Because I think a lot of us, whether we're looking to invest energetically in our next step of our career, whether we're looking at the economy right now. Is it a time to buy real estate? Is it a time to double down on gold? Like, where do we invest? Whenever you're trying to get that crystal ball moment, do you think that that first mover hyper awareness that you've doubled down on throughout your entire career, is that something that's just you or can that be learned? Like if someone's trying to figure out how do I even start to become more aware of the trends or if I see a wave, how do I know if I have the balls to jump in and try it? Like, is that... Is that just an inherent muscle for you? Or do you feel like there's an element where you kind of self-talk, pump up, get the courage and kind of jump in with like intentionality? Like how, how does that mind evolution go for you personally? Well, I think there's two parts of that because for me, like my entire life, I've always been the one that if if everybody zigs, I zag, right? And when all of the all the guys on the baseball team were, were kind of like mocking anyone that was a thespian or anyone that was hanging out with this crowd. I went and hung out with that crowd. I was a thespian uh, in, in high school. I was, I've always loved that like debunking like the norm or the myth or kind of mm -hmm. disrupting chaos. But I also have, have like this love for playing in places where perfection is not the, the benchmark. And if you're mm -hmm. an early adopter, what are you comparing me against? Nobody knows any better. Interesting. And yeah. so for me that like, I don't ever care about being perfect. And in a space that doesn't, doesn't look for people to be perfect, it really allows me to kind of shine. And so when yeah. you ask, like, can it be taught? I do believe if you're willing to kind of like 
listen, I, I like to say like, I listen and learn and I always try to keep an eye on where people are going tomorrow, but yeah. focus, focus my like main energy on where people are today. But I will mm-hmm. tell you when I see people moving somewhere, I like to ask myself like, okay, is what they're doing getting me closer to kind of like what that North star is for me. Right. And, and it really has been my entire career. Like when I left my government job, it was against every person's advice in my entire life. Every mentor, my parents, everyone hated me. I, I was nine and a half years into cybersecurity in the government at, and cybersecurity was just taking off the first seven years I was in that role. The word cybersecurity wasn't even a thing in college. You couldn't you know, go to school for it. And when I when I made that pivot, everyone was like, what are you you're giving up a security clearance? And I said, like, for me, it was twofold. I was afraid. And, and, I, and this is a, what I know about myself now is that if I get complacent or I believe complacency is coming, which means things are too easy or too smooth. I'm afraid I'm going to get lazy. I'm afraid that I'm going to pull my, my my foot off the pedal. So I have a tendency that as soon as things get to there, it's like, okay, let's go, let's go kind of disrupt and try again. But then I also look at things like if I'm, if I'm going to make kind of like critical decisions, I feel like there's certain parts of me is like, it's either now or never. And I have said, like, there's a couple of times where I've said, nah, never right now, probably not the best for me. Like I, I, I kind of figured out what it was all about and then decided it wasn't for me, but I like to kind of get to that point and then either go all in or not. And, you know, one of the things being ADHD and, you know, diagnosed about 10 years ago, that like all in nature is inherent in those of us that have ADHD, where we just, we very much operate from that, you know, full pedal, all or nothing. And I'm like that with like relationships, like with that, with friends, like with that, with hobbies, and I think because of that, it kind of allows me to lean into that early adoption culture a little easier. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so it's so true because I've watched you do this, and, and I think you have a radical ability to be audaciously authentic. I mean, you are the exact same dude on this screen as when you stayed at Hartman and I's house, as when we had you and your fam stay a couple years before as when you and Mike Ganino and I are like drinking virtual wine. Like you're literally the same exact dude online, offline all the time. And so for those of us who like even talking about ADHD or I saw you posted yesterday at the time of recording, uh, super sad news just came out about Twitch yesterday uh, is mental health illness and, and suicide. And you wrote this beautiful post, like really sharing these vulnerable thoughts and feelings and I just feel like you're very fearless when it comes to tackling some of the more controversial topics that some people, I think, they feel an extreme empathy towards, whether it is mental illness, ADHD, suicide, reinvention. You know, for you, you and I have had conversations around how we present ourselves from an optics standpoint. You know, like, you know me at home, I'm like, I'm like surfer chick, no makeup, like tomboy. Then I'm on stage, I'm like Dan Celine Dion, the lashes and the hair and the heels. And you're like, wow, this is interesting. It's like two different versions of you. You talked a lot about like how do you show up as who you are in a way that is fearless and and how you know I guess my question would be for people who aren't as comfortable as like a you at putting a microphone in a spotlight around their essence and their true feelings about sticky complex topics in a landmine of a social media world how do you think people can get better at revealing that that you said like the north star of who they really are well, I appreciate the kind words. And that probably is the you know the greatest compliment that I can get from, you know, I really do, you know, pride myself on that, you know, authenticity and, and kind of being the same person. But I also know that like 
you know, transparency is 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 really different for everybody, right? We have to own, we all have to kind of own how open we are or how we how much we let people in. And I'll say for me, like one of the tr- true things we have to just recognize is that oftentimes people, you know either are, are under a false assumption that if they are more transparent, it's guaranteed that people will trust them. And mm-hmm. in many cases, that's not the case, right? Like if you're more transparent, it just gives people a clearer window to decide if you are trustworthy or if you're not, or if they disagree with you or they like like you or don't like you. But I will say for me, like one of the big, you know, and it, it comes down to like, I, I will say self-awareness in, in knowing how you operate best. And for me, like I want people to, to trust me and believe me, I'm a massive empath, you know, recovering people pleaser or you know, trying not to be always a people pleaser. And what I realized was like, for me, the more I could put out there, the less people have against me, right? Like I disarm mm-hmm. the bullies and the haters because I own every aspect of me. I talk about my divorce. I talk about the good things, the bad things in my business. I was crying last night on spaces because, you know, with the tragic news of, of Twitch and, you know, I ended up becoming, you know, friends with him and Allison was on the Zoom with them a couple of months ago, helping mm. um, pull together an NFT project. And, you mm. know, and, and I'll say for me, the other part of that is I've recognized that, you know, I, I co-parent, I, you know, I've been divorced now for seven years. When I don't have my daughters, I have the house to myself. And I've learned that like the best way for me to cope, the best way for me, just me individually, and this is how we all kind of have to own it is that the more that I'm able to put out there and help others either realize they're not alone or learn through my kind of transparency, it's yeah. also a coping mechanism for me. It's also mm. a way that makes me feel less alone. And so mm-hmm. yesterday in the weirdest way, I mean, I was emotional all day long. It, it, yeah. know, for many people hit, but I yeah. actually didn't feel lonely at all yesterday because yeah. I knew so many others were also feeling what I was feeling. Yeah. And for me, that's how I show up. So when I talk about my, you know, I'm, I'm medicated with Adderall and a lot of people, even that talk ADHD, they will never talk about the fact that they're medicated. And mm-hmm. for me, it was like, Hey, it's part of who I am. But by me owning that someone, it, it kind of takes away like the power of others to like judge me in a way. And I think mm-hmm. that comes back to that thing I said earlier, like the more that I'm able to be kind of like open and vulnerable, the less I even have to think about perfection because yeah. I, why do I have to hide anything or mask anything? People know that this is a struggle for me, or they know that I am passionate about these things. And so I think for those that are kind of like on that cusp, I do think it's a risk versus reward, right? Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. want to talk about a topic if you, you know, and put that risk out there. If you're not, you know, if the reward's not great enough, right? And I think in this world, you know, sometimes being polarizing, you know, can be detrimental for your brand more so than we realize. But I do believe, and I think this is a, either Oprah Winfrey or Brene Brown, but either one of them, they preach about having, you know, having very strong convictions, but having them loosely held. And, mm-hmm. and part of that is like, you have to be willing to listen to all sides if you're going to be boldly out there, right? I am very loud as a LGBTQ plus AI supporter. And I am like, I am out there and I have to be able to, to answer when someone says, why is the cis white male so loud as an advocate, right? And I had, I had to own some of those things that are in there, right? That are part of my brand. And in some cases, it's probably lost me uh, opportunities and I have to own that. But more so than anything else, it's allowed me to be me as much as I possibly can. And I think that's been the payoff, you know, most you know, beneficial for me across the board. Yeah, it's so good. You know, you've heard my my Nana's famous quote a million times about being someone's shot of whiskey and not everyone's cup of tea. And it's, it really is easier said than done. And 
And I feel like there's a, there, you know, it is a, a heavy, you know, this, this is at my time of recording. It's December 15th. We're both on the East Coast. It's gray. It's rainy. It's the last week of productivity before the holidays. The energy is just like kind of heavy today. So I feel it as well. You know, this news, uh, and I didn't realize that you were so intimately acquainted with Twitch. I'm so sorry. I just, I can't imagine how his family and his wife are feeling right now. And in in the vein of the conversation around authenticity, like it's just, it, there's, there's such an element of like shock and shattering that someone would feel that they have to bury their truth so deeply that the veneer was so different from the inner storm. And I think, you know, aside from him just being such a, a rad dude from what I've heard and what he's seen and it being so likable and so connected and so visible and all the things that he seemed as his persona and his brand, I think there's a, a heaviness for all of us because it's it's like the price of the price of not feeling empowered or authorized to let who you are be seen by the world. Yeah, you know, and I think you know the beauty of I think where we are with like social and digital is it's allowed us a window into recognize that everyone has things they're going through, right? Every yeah. single human, right? It's not, yeah. it doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter where you live. But I think along with that, we've also created kind of a culture that doesn't allow those that we deem as successful to also admit that they're struggling. And, mm-hmm. and that is like, I think one mm-hmm. of those like scary, and especially for men, I think from, you know, like I, someone had reached out today and, you know, and they said, Brian, do you like really believe that no one was like reaching out to him or having these conversations? And I don't know that, you know, that well, I got to meet Allison and Twitch uh, in Miami. I, I flew down there, met with them there and we did one Zoom call, but I will say, I can sit, sit in and say, there are people that would have looked at him and said, he's got everything. And so if, he, if someone would have said, hey, are you doing okay in the head? I don't believe he could have got to a spot and said, if I complain about this or I talk about what I'm going through, they're going to be like, well, must be nice. The guy that has everything has something going on. I think that's one of the narratives we have to change. And I think the only way, or not only way, but one of the main ways we change that is that we do have to just own our truths in, in many scenarios, right? Like depression is real. Depression does not, it does not matter even, you know, it's not a social media thing, right? It's mm-hmm. actually more of a world thing. And mm-hmm. oftentimes the most dangerous places that, you know, when we're in our own heads. And I think, I think in this world, I think finding your own, what works for you, right? Like I'm such a big believer. You, you mentioned, you know, multi-passionate, multi-hyphenate, right? Like when I finally realized that my, my, my brain isn't broken, my brain is just different. And, and it's partially, it's the ADHD, the dyslexia side of, my, of me. And when I realized that I'm just different, it took me many years to realize I have to create my day-to-day, my life different if I truly believe that I'm different, right? And I had to own some certain things that I'm not good at or that I struggle at. And I kind of adapted my day-to-day, adapted my life to that. And part of that also is how I show up, right? I am I am not afraid at all to admit that I get emotional and I cry a lot and during TV shows or with my kids or, you know, and in and, and certain uh, moments. But part of that is also because if I don't share that, yeah, I'm afraid of that keeping that in and what that does for me, right? Like mm. for me, that's my coping mechanism. And I and I kind of hope that we, you know, and you know who's leading that charge? It's the Gen Z. Anyone that looks at Gen Z today, Gen Z, they own every aspect of the struggle and they do it in a way that never feels like a judge or a scarlet letter. 
they do it just in a way like, hey, take it or leave it. Like, this is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. And I think for the rest of us, especially, you know, millennial Gen Xers, this is so different, right? Because we were not raised, you mm-hmm. know, in, in that realm to have these conversations or talk about medication. And, and I think it's, it is really different. I would challenge everyone where we are as a society, especially after pandemic. Yeah. We need to, we need to re-examine right now is a perfect time. Re-examine the things that you're willing to talk about, the things that you're willing to share. Because I think for many of us, five years ago, we asked ourselves, what are we willing to share? What are we willing to put up there? And at the time, it probably was not the time to talk about mental health. Probably Mm -hmm. not the time to talk about your struggles, your financial pieces, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of these things were things like at the time, culture was not there. But Mm -hmm. now coming out of a pandemic, when we realize that even executives don't know how to use the mute button on Zoom, right? Even, even, you know, no matter who, who they are, some people realized, like many of us, like all of a sudden being home was like, wow, we were missing something. And so I I challenge everyone to kind of go back and re-examine those questions that you maybe answered a while ago and answer them in this day, right? Answer them where we're at now as a culture, because you might open up and start to share a little bit more things just based simply on the fact that you didn't realize that you were still guarding yourself because you didn't believe it was kind of the cultural norm, which is really, it wasn't five, six, seven years ago. Yeah, no, it's so well said. And and it is interesting to be taking a page out of Gen Z's book. And I'm envious, truthfully, I'm envious of their confidence and their comfort and their, their just familiarity with that type of healthy catharsis. Yep. They just don't have the stutter step stigma that decades of programming as old ass millennials like us have. I mean, we were raised by boomers who were raised by very emotionally stunted, unhealthy. Uh, you just push it under the rug. You don't talk about it. Suck it up, Sally. Rub some dirt, dirt on it. No one wants to hear your, your problems, you know? And it's interesting to see how that's changed in such a short period of time. I mean, you and I have debated the pros and cons, the, the goods and the evils of social and connection and community for so long. I think we can agree this is, if not the most uh, impactful in a positive way component of the social revolution is this ability to learn from other generations and to see there's more than one way to process. As I said, I, I truly am envious of it because to this day, you know, instead of it just being an organic moment, like even on these podcasts that we do or my emails or like every time I'm really super extra vulnerable, I almost feel like proud of myself. You know, I'm almost like, good job, way to like be brave. And it's like, wah, wah, like, like, oh, get like, like, oh, that's the bar. You know, meanwhile, they just operate like that. They don't even think twice. And it's so beautiful and so refreshing. I want to talk a little bit about this idea of, you know, the more that we are kind of reinventing who want to be on the other side of this pandemic. I I want to ask you this question. Is there anything about pre-pandemic, Brian, and I don't mean this to be negative or like glass half empty, you know, because I know there's so many silver linings and this isn't about comparative grieving or comparative journeys. Like everyone's journey has a place. Everyone's feelings are valid. It's not about like, you know, who has a better or worse journey. Is there anything about pre-pandemic Brian that has left the building that you kind of miss from having what we just went through? Like is like a loss of innocence or a loss of, I don't know, just like, is there a part of you that you've like, that you kind of like sort of disappeared just naturally from what we've all been through that you're like, gosh, I remember that part of that guy. I wonder if, wonder if that's gone forever. Yeah. You know, it's a great question. You know, I think for me, part of it was kind of like that idea of 
for me, like my speaking career was, I mean, it was at its height, right. As the pandemic started, right. It was my, my best year of bookings, the year that, that it happened. And both I think, of us, we were in the exact same yeah, boat. That is we both were of literally us. Like yep. line in line there. Right. Yep. And, and, and I'll say like, I think part of what I think I kind of lost a little bit that I maybe thought was going to be always going to be there yeah. was like, you know, not only the continual build of like our, our careers, but also like, I think I lost a little bit of, of like what I picture as like success in the future. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I have a clear view of what like success in the future is. And I, and I, it took a while to kind of own that I'm, I'm going to be okay with that right now. Like, I don't like, you know, my divorce seven years ago, you know, I had the white picket fence, $3 that, you know, and, and I'm the one that, you know, asked for the divorce. So like I set that journey all of a sudden there, but it was at the pandemic that I think a lot of other things fell in place now. Yeah. Sounds weird, but I am very thankful that I had already gone through the divorce to, to have to sit with my own thoughts, sit with some of this reinvention, but you know, like on the flip side of it, it also made me realize I was, you know, I've traveled to 76 countries. I love travel. I took it for granted. Like I, I completely, like I've always said, I love travel. I've always never complained about travel. You and I have traveled together, but I took it for granted. Like I, I I was recently uh, in Toronto and like, I had this like shit eating grin on my face, the entire landing into Toronto. And it was like, Oh, it's the energy. It's the vibe. It's the culture. It's new people. And I think that to me was like maybe one of the, the best byproducts of this is because now I'm going to cherish going back even to the cities I've always been, right? Because like part of us was like, oh, I've always been to Vegas or I've always been there. And I think now like having the first time in my career kind of like bring it to a halt, like the little nuances of travel life, like I mm-hmm. I think I will cherish and I hope that I will cherish it long-term. And the beauty is I don't think I ever would have got to that point. Like we would have been doing 60 gigs a year and we would have been you know, and I don't think we would have ever had the opportunity to stop and be like, how cool is it that we get to fly, put yeah. up in these nice hotels and we have to, you know, do what we do best. And so, yeah, that's probably one of the, the, the parts that like has really surprised me and like, and like excites me for next year because like I'm taking on as many opportunities as I can to get back to the and travel. But that's you know definitely a, a nice little after effect of the pandemic. Yeah, I love that because I think at the, at the heart of that comment is just this renewed, deeper, juicier appreciation of like the little things that, and that's like a beautiful, because we all, you know, read the coffee cup, it's great the little things and like, but to actually really get that at a core level, I mean, I'm the same way. Like I had my last gig of the year a couple of weeks ago and I'm still getting a kick, you know, I'm like physical touch is my love language and I'm always like touching everybody and like, I just still get a kick out of hugging randos, which like that's not everyone's cup of tea, but I love a good squeeze from an emotional, emotionally moved audience member. I love a good, like known you for 20 years, get in for the real thing, you know, mama bear squeeze. And I still just like you, I'm like, gosh, this is so cool that I can just like hug this stranger and not be like, um, and okay, there's still things going on. Like I definitely, I'm not saying everyone go hug everyone like doorknobs, like we're still kind of in a pandemic allegedly or whatever, but it is nice to be able to appreciate those things. So. Um, okay, quick pivot to the right here. My biggest question for you that I've never really asked you, and I'm really excited to kind of dive into this, sort of change directions a little bit. This podcast is called On Your Terms. I believe that a big part of your superpower, where you are always able to like reinvent and set new bars, and you're like one of those people where I just, I feel inspired to try and keep up with you and then I don't even try because I don't think it's even possible and not in like an unhealthy comparison way like in a healthy competition way like in a 
good job him. Now let's go me. Like you, you invigorate me when I see your wins and your successes. I'm like, hell yeah. Cause now it's like, you just makes you think like, well, what's possible for me or what's next. And, and, and I really, I love watching your journey. I always have. I think one of the big keys to your success from where I sit is that you are a master, a master of community cultivating. You are a master networker and not in a sales guy, shaking hands, kissing babies, throwing around business cards kind of way. You are a master networker in that. I believe that everyone that is a good friend of yours thinks that they're your best friend, like genuinely. And you make people feel like so seen, so understood. Like even today, like I haven't talked to you, I ashamed to admit, in how many months? And you show up with like the Laguna hat. You know, and it's like there's these little things. And 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 I feel like I feel like you have so many friends in so many circles, online, offline, all these different industries, but you do it without it feeling like we know some mutual people in our circles where it's it's like an engineered, yes, it's an engineered sense of I do, you do, this sort of exchange. But for you, it just feels very like you're genuinely interested in everybody. You organically want to lean forward and get the chats. And you just, you, you really maintain this vibrant network that's so vast. Like to have genuine depth and scale at the same time is truly a superpower. Again, do you feel like that's something that you just do because you love it? Or can we get better at that? Because I feel like I suck at maintaining, like I'm, I'm all, like whoever I'm with right now with you, I am a hundred percent with you. I'm not thinking about what's tomorrow, what's yesterday. I'm very present with whoever I'm with, but I do struggle with like, the long distance with, you know, staying in touch with, you know, I, I just think it's amazing. So is there anything that you do intentionally or is that just how you roll? Well, you know, it's definitely an ADHD trait in the sense of, you know, and like I've been really, you know, part of my self-awareness journey is, is just understanding my own shades of ADHD and anyone that's neurodiverse has different shades and different things kind of resonate. And, you know, one of the things for me, uh, and you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, in the past, like, I, I had to figure out like, where, where do I get my joy? Where do I get my happiness? Right. And yeah. I will tell you, like for me on the, uh, you know, coming on the podcast, right. My joy is knowing that if I'm wearing Laguna hat, you're going to be happy and, and love that. Right. So like, to me, that's more joy than me even coming on the podcast and telling my story. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I learned that about myself. Now, in some cases that can be a detriment, right. That can be a downside of mine because I oftentimes my joy being in making other people's happy oftentimes will put myself second or I will, I will run myself ragged, making sure I make sure everybody knows that they're seen. And then I'll be like, Oh, wait a second. I forgot about myself. Right. So I own both sides of that. You know, I think part of it for me also is, you know, the way I consume, right. I'm not a reader, right. Uh, Dyslexia and ADHD. So like a lot of what I consume is, is kind of consuming the masses, right. Like where I'm scrolling feeds and, and for others, I think there's oftentimes like, either escapism or they're looking for certain people. And I think part of what I get to do is I get to kind of like take a little dose in of just about everyone that I can. And and I will say, I do, I do work pretty hard to train the algorithms on different social networks to benefit me. So like one of the things that I like, I firmly believe is that like, if your algorithm, if your feed, it doesn't matter, Facebook, I don't care, whatever your favorite social network is, if your feed isn't either giving you energy or serving you up the people or the, the like product services that you enjoy. It's up to you to change it. And what I mean by that is I block, unfollow, and mute people every single day. Oh, every wow. single day. And part of it's like, 
that person's energy for the next 30 days is mute for the next 30 days. And what that does is it allows my, my feeds to be very beneficial for me. Now, I try not to create a silo because I think that's dangerous for anyone. Sure. I work I and mean, I work hard on that on my Instagram. I work hard on that on my Facebook, even my like LinkedIn. And, and there are some people that I'm like, you know what? You're a peer. Some of our mutual friends, you're a peer. I appreciate what you're doing, but the way that you go about doing it is not match my way of doing things. And by me seeing you have success, it gives me a feeling that I'm not happy with myself. So I'm just going to mute that person from my feed. And I, it took me a while to get to like, being okay with like someone I look up to or a peer being like, I just have to mute them because we, we can still be friends. We'll still hang out at NSA when we do our things that we go together, but in my like life, in my feed and, and where I'm kind of keeping up with people, that feeling of like, Oh, must be nice. They got that. Or, Oh my gosh, I can't stand the way they talk about that. So I will say for anyone that's out there, own your feed. And I know people will be like, well, Facebook, certain no, well, Facebook isn't going to give you ads or content that isn't what you're already clicking, right? So like right. when I mute and block stuff and I say, nope, this was not helpful. Like my feed is pretty damn good. Like I can scroll and I don't love Facebook at the moment. I don't spend a, a ton of time um, on Instagram. I actually probably spend more time on TikTok uh, than the two of them. But even TikTok, like I will, I hold down on the screen and say not interested three or four times a day because oh, wow. I'm okay. teaching it to say, this is what I like. Because we, we usually like some things and then we'll nod our head at some other things. But very seldom do we say these are the things we no longer want to see or uh-huh. see too much of. And so maybe that's a hack that I think can maybe uh, help people kind of clean up the, their, their feed and what's coming in. But of course, the goal isn't to create a silo. Rather, a goal is to kind of just manage some of that energy and some of that noise that's being thrown at us. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, that just Marie Kondo, that feed. I mean, lesson block. I love that. It's interesting, right? So it's almost like it's like when you feel yourself eye rolling. You know, before you scroll, you feel an eye roll, stop the scroll, right? Yep. And just, you know, make, make moves, you know, signal. I I, and I will because, literally, yeah. I will feel myself go like, oh. I'm like, wait, why am, why am I letting their content come in my feed? Like, what is that? Like, it's my feed, right? Like, and I'm not unfriending them. I'm not like yeah. I'm not making this polarizing. I'm not saying like, you know, because like our tendency is like to go into our comments and be like, you know, I'm tired of you always promoting your book or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And like that, what, what does that benefit? It doesn't benefit us. It doesn't benefit them. And so in many ways, like I'll just mute, right? And it's just like, you know what? I, I'm deciding in those moments when I have those feelings that my, like my feed is mine and yeah. I'm going to own what I, what is in that feed. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. And I think that that type of behavior that begins, I mean, obviously we talk digital and social all the time, but I mean, this is where it starts, right? These are our inputs and it reflects our outputs in moments like yeah. this on a Zoom or, or, the holidays are coming up and your interactions with your friends and family and, and at scale on stage, like, you know, we're spending so much time. And I know for a fact that I can feel when certain things, you know, you and I both are not like heavily scripted presenters. And so it's interesting where you'll have that moment on stage. I'm sure you have this like I do with all of that version of you that's out here, like looking at you and you're like, oh, yeah. huh, where, where'd that come from? And you're like, oh, that was something you read that buried in your subconscious just found its way into 3000 people's ears. Like, better be intentional about that input and be intentional about that scroll because it shows up in the most wild places. You got to be really protective and careful of what we're taking in. I think that, you know, one thing that I really admire about you, and I wish I had this more, and maybe some of our listeners feel the same about me. You know, I still do have a little bit of that unhealthy level of loyalty, whether it's to the people that I follow or the people that I stay in touch with. Like I have a really hard time closing the garage door or like 
severing something and moving on, even when I know it's leaking toxicity into my energetic field, I just, and I feel like maybe dudes are better at it than gals, huge generalization. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if it's how you're raised or I don't know, but I, I really do struggle with seeing the signals, seeing the red flags in these relationships or even in these clients sometimes. Like, you know, when you're on a discovery call and there's one or two comments about something dumb, the way the contract is going to be put together or how they want to have the slide deck, or there's just a couple comments and you feel that little tug of like, huh, wonder if that's going to expand into a real hell of a nightmare, you know? And almost like 10 out of 10 times, three, four, five months later, you're like, I knew it, right? Like we have these like signals. And I just feel like sometimes I, um, I hate to admit it, but I just kind of shove them down or I'm just not as good at like moving on when I've come to a realization. Like I'll just hang in there and I feel bad or I feel rude or I just, I don't know. I mean, do you feel like there's something that you do that allows you to like, like black and block or like release with love or like move into the next phase of who you're becoming and, and who you want to bring into your circle without feeling like, I don't know if it's like Catholic guilt for how I grew up or what, but like, how do we become, how do we become more empowered at that process and at that journey? Would you say? Well, so I, I look at everything as a, in a way of like nothing that I'm doing in relationships and networking and building is permanent in my view, right? Like mm. I am, I am one that I, I you know, like I am not a, a permanent, like I don't hold grudges. I am one that I would prefer to be like, Hey, Right now, you you and I aren't getting along. Like, wait, we're we're gonna separate force fields. But I know that if we come back aligned, we're good to go. Right? Like, I I, I and I think part of that gives me that because I'm a people pleaser. Right? Like, I want people to like me. But I I had to learn sometimes be like, I'm just gonna let that person go now, or I'm gonna remove that person from my feed. And I had to tell myself, if there comes an opportunity to work with them again or bring them back in, I have to treat that opportunity just as as equal as I would have if they were in my feed the whole time. So I try to really think about all of that is like, and like, you know, and it's partially like, that's the, you know, I was raised Catholic and my dad was always like, you know, you know, your word is bond and your name is everything. Right. And all those, yeah. all those type of things. And so I do try to my best not to leave anyone feeling as though like I've done them wrong. Right. Or that yeah. I've, but I, I will say there, there are people like Brian, you kind of like just kind of stopped connecting with me and like what happened? And I was like, you were kind of going down this path that had a political tone and the narrative was not like matching what I liked. And, you know, I, I'm okay. And I guess this is probably another piece of this. I'm very much okay with having differing agrees with people different. You know, we can, we can be different on a bunch of things. Like I, I probably have like four things, maybe five, that are like non-negotiables. Like if you yeah. if you are are on one side of these five things, screw you, you're done. I don't even like you are not even worth anything for me. Yeah. But other than those, like we can like we I'm very okay with like even like you know dating, right? Like I had to realize like what if, if I'm can I date somebody if that likes a different political party? Well, for me, I can, but I also have to recognize what part of that different political party do they care about? And, yeah. and what are the things that are non-negotiable within that for me? And so like I, that to me has probably been the, the, the superpower part of it was like, I can, in a way it's compartmentalization. And I know it sometimes it sounds like, you know, that sounds like we're making it transactional, but in some cases I have to like almost check a box and be like, this person is no longer a business friend, but they can still be a personal friend. And when, when life comes back and we can hang out personally, we're good. But as far as business advice or business tactics, 
And, and I've had to do that recently where there's a couple of people, especially in this new area where I'm at, where I thought I liked them. We, I thought we were aligned. Yeah. And I got to know some of their tactics and I just decided you are, like, I'm going to pass on every opportunity there is that we are aligned. You know, I, I back out of some of those things, but I do think when we, when we realize that it doesn't have to be permanent, right? Like, you know, like even with my, you know, my ex-wife going through the divorce, you know, even for the things that I had gone through and I, and I had, I had definitely gone through um, some things there for me, like, there's also like this case of like, what if five years from now we both align and we realize some of the things that weren't probably don't matter to us anymore? Will I be able to kind of sit with it? And I, and I, and I do believe I will. And, and I don't think she does <laughs> at the moment, but you know, I think that to me is part of this is that I'm, I, I'm okay with kind of owning the fact that maybe in this moment, we're not as close, but that doesn't mean we can't be close a month from now, a day from now. I think that kind of helps me because I'm a people pleaser too. And I, I don't want ever people to feel like I, I'm like purposely removing them or I'm, I'm wanting them to feel down, but, but we do have to kind of make those decisions. And, and for me, it helps that way. Yeah. I, I love the fluidity because, you know, it's, it's basically like you started off by saying like, I'm going into this with the expectation that nothing is permanent. And we know that. I mean, with what happened yesterday, this awful tragedy with like Twitch and it's the holidays. People are thinking about who was here last Christmas that isn't here this Christmas. And I mean, we know that that the only thing guaranteed is change. The only thing permanent is change. We know this. And yet I think oftentimes we do go into romantic relationships, professional relationships, online relationships, with this sort of bizarre married forever, never amen type of permanency. And so we invest hard and we lean in hard and we listen hard and we contribute hard. And then there's this like huge dramatic, like letdown from an energetic bank account standpoint. When the reality is, I mean, there's that phrase where people are in your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And it really is so damn true. So I love that instead of reminding that, reminding ourselves of that on the back end, going into that and, and authorizing ourselves that it's not being flaky or disappointing. We're allowed to change our minds. It's not a negative shortcoming to change our minds. It's a healthy, organic evolution of human connection. Yeah, especially because like forever and a lifetime, to me, like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even visualize what those are, right? Like, and, and let's face it, if anyone's kind of struggling with this, did anyone plan in our forever to have a global pandemic to shut our world down. Not mm -hmm. one person said, hey, there's a possibility the world could stop because that wasn't even like a finite possibility, right? It wasn't like no one, like it wasn't even something like, like there wasn't even, even the past that it hadn't even happened, right? And, and our rate of change. And I think for me, that actually, that helps so much to like own the fact that like maybe for the next three years, I don't work with somebody that does these things because these are things that I value at the moment. But over the next yeah. three years, if I no longer value those things, why am I still not associating myself with that person that I originally kind of like passed it off because we were different? And I think I think that to me is the the beautiful element of us. I mean, it goes into you know I think relationships as well, right? I think you know, we there's a lot of discussion on like monogamy and understanding where all of that kind of comes into into play. And yeah. you know we can we hear things like you know we're human creatures and 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 we weren't built for this, but like. Part of it is also like the it's not the grass is green. It's that like we actually now have the ability to see the world, reinvent the way we live, 
reinvent what work is, the way we work, reinvent what does like a healthy relationship look like, right? Because like our old version of that, like my parents are still married and, and you know, like I love them to death. They are, you know, they are that anomaly in my, in my world that like, I've never heard them fight. Somehow my mom puts up my dad. I still can't figure that out. <laughs> but, like, I also know that like the, the, they're the one exception to so many other versions of things that, you know, that we were trained kind of like put it up with it. It's a, you bought in with this and we get one life, right? We get one life. And I think the, the beauty of that is we also just have to, you know, I'm a big, you know, kind of like forgive and forget in in many cases. And, and sometimes I get burned on that. Sometimes someone can come back and, you know, kind of use me again. Right. And I have to just like, I have to take that because I think if we put up a wall and say, you know, someone screws me over, I'm done with them. We have to also own that probably jeopardizes some other you know, future possibilities. And so yeah. I would rather say, hey, I might get, I get, I get ran over twice, right? I might, get, I, might, I might get taken advantage a couple of times, but how many times have I been able to welcome someone back in or seize a new opportunity because I didn't make someone forever banned or lifetime not associated with because yeah. I think we are continuing to evolve. Well, that's it. And it's, it's the iteration of our identities. And how many people that are not self-aware, they don't do the work that you and I do, they don't do the work people that are listening to this podcast do, that are, there is this element of this is who I am, that fixed mindset versus growth mindset that everyone talks about. And you have this idea of like, I believe in this, I am this, I was raised with parents like this, I was raised in this church, I was raised to believe this. And I think that there's this element, Cialdini talks about it in his book about persuasion, where he talks about, we have this innate uh, desire to remain consistent, not only to our tribal members, but to ourselves. Because if we change our mind, then we're inconsistent. If we're inconsistent, we're flaky. And if we're flaky, we're not a good person. We're not a good moral compass person. And that's just bullshit. I mean, this, this idea that we don't allow ourselves to iterate our identities when we're going through world-changing events like global pandemics, when we're going through the, the speed of digital innovation, when we're we're living through a time that has never been seen before. I mean, literally, if you we all study history, right? We all know those cycles. Everything's in cycles. You have war and peace. You have rich and poor. You have health and sickness. Like like the world is cycles, and the world has never gone through cycles with this type of technology and connectivity in the history of humanity. So yes, you know every every person over the age of fifty is like, well, in my day, right? That's been going on since the beginning of time. However, you know, they really did not have some of these insane elements of connectivity, of real-time speed, of hybrid workplace, of AI and robotics, of social media. I mean, you can go on and on. And so I think that to expect ourselves to to uphold the same standards around self-identification that existed 15 or 20 years ago just isn't realistic. So like set ourselves free and quit judging ourselves for it. I think the hardest part on that is that self-awareness doesn't ever stop. Like I, like that's the hardest part. Like I, I really worked hard on being self-aware and I, I spent months and I got to a point where I was like, okay, <laughs> did I check that box? Like where, where, and you know, like as we learn new things, right. I, I'll watch a new documentary and all of a sudden I have a different perspective on something that I didn't even know was there. And I think we have to come back and check in. Right. Like, and it's like that, like, like that, I think that's maybe one of the hardest parts of this whole thing is that you have to come back and you and you can't judge yourself based on like the decisions you made based on the data you had at the time. Right? Like that's the beauty of our past decisions. Right? Like 
Yeah. At, at those times, this was our data. This was our exposure. This is what the culture we grew up in. But yeah. I have to own the fact that now I'm much more aware of certain things and certain things existing. And let's face it, a majority of this stuff has existed forever. We just didn't have any window into it, right? Like my grandfather owned his own concrete company, amazing human in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He left the state of Pennsylvania twice in his entire life. How the wow. hell would he know what other cultures were doing? What was happening in the South? What the ocean, the beach looked like? Like his exposure to the world, now he was successful. He was happy. He did his own thing. He had his own like regimen. But if I took my grandfather and said, travel to 76 countries, I want you to go to every wow. Middle Eastern country and fall in love with the culture and the people there like I have. How would that have changed my grandfather's view on everything? It would have. But I think mm-hmm. sometimes we're like, even when we get exposed to it, like we can't, like you said, we can't change. We, we, if, if I change, if I have to admit that I'm changing my view on this, I'm admitting that I've been wrong all this time. And that's where we go wrong because mm-hmm. it's okay to admit that based on the new data, the new experiences I have moving forward, I'm changing. It's okay. Yeah. And you shouldn't give yourself a hard time on that, right? There's a lot of people that have made a lot of you know bad decisions, bad comments that, that judge people certain ways and now realize, and like I, for one, thought I was a, an amazing ally. And, and, and I thought it was amazing you know, with you know, uh, driving some diverse conversations, but I was not an anti-racist. I was not. I, I, mm. In many scenarios, I just stayed silent. I thought my silence was me being a champion. And it mm. wasn't until the mo- murder of George Floyd when I started asking about what I could do to help. And people were like, you're not helping, Fanzo. And I was like, what, what do you mean I'm not helping? I've always been. And they're like, no, your actions, your words are not helping. I need you to be not just uh, you know, okay with these things. I need you to be the anti-racist. And like mm. for me, that was owning the fact that these past 15 years, I thought I was pretty good at something that I was mistaken of what was needed to drive the change. Mm. And hey, I can own that because prior to that, I thought I was doing good. The, the problem is, is if you get that new data, and I we have some mutual friends that will message me and say, Brian, I'm more aware now of this. And I understand why I probably should either do this more or do this less. But like, how do I start doing that where it doesn't come off as like, polarizing or like, you know, like we're always changing. Cause like, yeah, we're, we as a culture suck at that too. Like we judge people for, for changing their mind and their opinion. Yet we want people to change and evolve because we don't want right. to lose the past. Right. We're like, how dare you 10 years ago, you made a, you were on a podcast and you right. made a comment and now yeah. you changed your point of view. Well, guess what? In the last yeah. 10 years, I kind of figured out that my view has changed too. Right. And I think like that's something we all can be better at is like giving people grace for evolving their own thoughts and beliefs and learning on their own how to be different rather than like judging people because they, they change their mind. Cause let's face mm-hmm. it. I think there's a lot of things that the world is exposing to us, especially just even since the pandemic that hopefully people are willing to take stock and then not only just take stock, but make the necessary changes and, and let's not judge them for, for doing so. Yeah. I love that so much. Cause it, it really is like a damned if you do damned if you don't like, like, yes. Either way, and and also not even just changing, but also like in the conversation around leveling up, right? Yep. So so like my grandparents were immigrants from Ireland. They went to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my grandfather, God rest his soul, he was a plasterer. I mean, he worked gigs painting out of a truck, you know, with somehow raised five kids. I have no idea how. Uh, gift to gab all day, and 
And it's interesting because now my grandmother is, you know, almost 90 years old from Ireland. And just two generations later, like you were saying, you traveled to 78 countries or whatever. You know, I, I was flown to Amsterdam for my first international gig a couple months ago, and I'm flying like international business class getting paid to go share my truth. And I just sat there and it was this like moment of the universe, just like punching me in the face. Like you are freaking welcome. You are the granddaughter of immigrants. You came over here with nothing on a boat. And just two generations later, because of their hard work and your parents' hard work, and then your hard work on top of that, look at this dream life that you get to live. You are so lucky. And I felt really grateful. And then my immediate feeling upon evolving upward, essentially, was guilt. And then I was telling my Nana about it and I felt myself, I felt myself almost like apologetically downplaying it. So again, here's like the catch 22, right? It's like, we all want to do better for the next generation. And then when we do, which we're encouraged to, even my parents, sometimes I feel like I'm here home for the holidays. They're upstairs, you know, probably listening to every word of this, but like, it's, it's, there's this this moment of, you know, my parents are retired. So they're always like, Oh, how much is that? And you know, that you just, you know, it's just, they're fine, but they're always, it's just different generation. They're boomers. Right. And so I find myself kind of like, when they're like, oh, what are you guys doing for New Year's? I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm downplaying things, even though my whole life, it was like, go shoot for the stars, shoot for the moon, trace your dreams, be better than that generation. Well, then when we do, again, damn, damn if you do, damn if you don't, I find myself sort of downplaying the, these beautiful gifts and blessings of my life because I feel I don't want to be like showy or I don't want to seem ostentatious. So it's this always, there's always going to be this tension anyway. I guess. And so I think if we can find a way, especially at the holidays, all of us going home and everyone's sharing their stories, what they do this year, everyone's reading the brag Christmas cards, all this stuff. So it's like, how can we just make peace with the fact that like, if there's never going to be this like perfect way to show up. So like you always say, perfection is a fairy tale. So let's just admit that, make peace with that, love on that. And like, fuck it, like do you anyway. And that's, I think, kind of what I really admire about you because that's pretty much how you roll. So (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that. And I will tell you, part of that to me is that I really try, and, and it doesn't always live there, but try as, as much as I can to always look at others' success as their win and not less for me, right? And you mentioned yeah. that mindset. And I, I do it like, you know, from like my brothers to like, you know, my, my, my brother just got his, his third house. Uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure which Tesla I'm going to get at the house. And it could be easily, I can be like, oh, it must be nice, Jeff, that you got, you know, that you live like that. But then I was like, wait a second. I know that he sacrifices things that I didn't want to sacrifice. I know that he put in the work and, and had done a couple of those things. And so I have to look at it and go like, dude, that's awesome. Like, what are you doing? And it, it takes a lot of work. Like, it takes a lot of work for us to like step back because it's okay. Like others being successful, especially peers, you know, I think, and that's partially a generation thing, right? Like, I think a lot of other generations was like, mm-hmm. like I remember my dad totally refused to get a fancy car because he didn't want people to know how much money he made. Yet we, I mean, I knew the house that I lived in. I knew that my family, we were well off, right? Like it wasn't, but like my dad was, so, and I was like, dad, you've worked so freaking hard and you've yeah. sacrificed so much. Yeah. And you want this 50th anniversary Corvette. And the reason you're not is because you don't want people to see how hard, like the fruits of how hard you worked. And wow. I think that, like, I remember, I remember it. I mean, I remember the day he brought the Corvette home and three days later he took it back. And I remember being like, no way. I've never seen you that happy, excited. And he's like, oh, into a parking lot and I can just see people judging me. And I don't want people to, and I was like, and wow. I think like, we just have to own that. Like, are we putting that on others? Because we shouldn't, right? We, we like, think about it from like, 
you know, and it goes back even to some of the, the conversation around Twitch and you know, like, as we look at success, I think we also have to own that, like my success and my path to sex success is not the same as Aaron's path to success, right? Like we have two different, we're, we're both on two different journeys here. Right. And, and the things I'm going to have to sacrifice for my success are things that maybe you wouldn't sacrifice, right? We have, we have a lot of give and take. And so why would your success feel like it should be taken away from my success, right? Like, and like, that's yeah. such a hard space for people to get into, especially within your own kind of peer group. It's so true, Brian. And, and, you know, it's funny, you've used the phrase now four or five times, you keep saying like, must be nice. And if you remember, when we were at the National Speaker yes. Association, this like two or three years ago, I was doing main stage, you were like my hype guy. And I remember there was some joke that I didn't hear. I wish I'd heard it before I went on stage. There was some joke that must be nice. So then I picked Marilyn Sherman as my it was like my worst crowd work ever, of course, in front of the judgiest audience. I usually nail laser coaching. I just, it was just, the whole thing was not good. It doesn't matter. So she, I pull up her thing and it's her and she's in Italy and there's wine. And the whole thing was just like, well, 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 it was like a disaster. But they were all like, must be nice, like joking around. And I think what's interesting about, I think what's not interesting, I think what's dangerous about that phrase, it must be nice, is that much of what we say when we're joking, much of what we say when we're being sarcastic is rooted in truth rooted in truth. Sarcasm rooted in truth. Comments are rooted in truth. And people say, must be nice. Everyone starts laughing. There's an element there of edge, of envy. There's an element of scarcity mentality. There's an element of unhealthy competitive nature, unhealthy competition. There's all kinds of soul-sucking, energy-draining negativity at the core of that comment. And I think that just being really aware of when we hear ourselves, like using, especially like with the Tesla or at Christmas, or, you know, we've unfollowed someone else who like got that stage or got whatever is our version of success. I think we have to be really careful of when we hear ourselves using that language, pausing and, and, and maybe just having a little minute of like, okay, wh- whoa, okay, hold on. What was at the root of that? What was at the root? What, is it because I truly desire something that I am not achieving? Do I see something that's possible for me and what they have? Have I let myself down? Am am, am I engaging in some kind of like habit or behavior that I know is holding me back and it's a controllable? Like what is at the root of feeling that there's not enough abundance for both of us in this massive, enormous, endless world of opportunity? And I think if we want to move forward in a space where mental health is a priority, where we have people that aren't, you know, in their in their head and, and lost, we have to we have to move past that, right? Because, you know, it might just be one time that we say must be nice, but when it when it compounds and they have thirty people over a year say that, I can guarantee they're going to be less likely to celebrate their win, less yeah. likely to talk about the good things that are happening. And then you know what we do whenever someone talks about a bad thing, we're like sending our thoughts and our prayers, right? Or we're like we're we're commenting in the in their feed, and so all of a sudden we recognize that our faults, our failures are what people care about and our successes are no longer. And so we stop valuing our success. We spend all of our time on our failures and our, on our things. And no wonder we get into our heads. And I, and I, and I do believe like as a whole, one of those things can come back and be like, if it's a must be nice, what can I do to celebrate them? Because yeah. if I can learn what they are accomplishing. If I believe it's nice, then isn't, isn't that the step forward that we have? And like, I have, I mean, I have like, uh, probably a lot of people have, like I have my my notes and my unsent draft tweets. I have like 3000 draft tweets. 
because like there are things that will come to my head and I'm like, oh, I'm going to put them in their place. And I will like yeah. fire up this, like, you know, uh, this tweet. And then I'll go, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What, what the, and I go, and I just hit, I hit cancel and I hit save. Right. It's like, yeah. Sleep on it. Drafts. So like, on it. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't. I mean, someone could pay me a lot of money and I wouldn't probably expose my draft folder of, of my tweets because like, I'm dying to see this. <laughs> like, okay. That, there'll be a link in the show notes to Brian's draft folder. <laughs> but like that, that alone, right? Like even just because like for me, it's like, okay, I got it out. Then I check myself and I'm not judging myself because I'm like, okay, don't post right now. You're, you're so it's a step, right? I think we can all, like, we all have, and, 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 no one's perfect. We all have, are going to have, you know, that, you know, like, and I think, Jealousy, competition, you know, like, you know, like I I really do think when when you press the like button on someone's post of something they're doing well, like I, I like to think of it as like how how much more can I be a bigger cheerleader, right? Like yeah. I love cheerleading for others. Like it's just it's I, I get zero loss. Like there's there is I've never I've never been like there's never something bad that's happened in my life for celebrating someone else's success. Never had one thing bad happen. Good things numerous right like even the things that you mentioned about like my reputation and like the beauty of it is all of us can do it we all hit the like button but rather than the like button be like man i know that you've been working for eight months on this new book and i'm so excited that you put it out that you have it coming out let me know when i can get one right like yeah that, that little bit of cheerleading goes such a long way and let's face it the world needs more empathy and we need more people celebrating other people and i think that's probably two of the best places that we can all you know, be better. And I think it's, you know, it's a daily you know habit that we can improve on. Yeah. It's and, and in a genuine way, because the other thing too, is you can really, you can feel through the screen when it's not, you can feel when it's transactional, you can feel it. And to, in my mind, it, it, it honestly, it's not a neutral experience to me. It, it's a hard negative. Like yep. when you can see someone and you're just like, I always go, Ooh, like, cause it just feels icky and so it's like either do it because you mean it or honestly like don't phone it in because it's it, it it does more harm than good i think to the optics and and just to the vibe you know the days, the days of of believing that you could pu- pull that off are over right five yeah. years ago seven years ago we were not social savvy we were we had filters and we thought everyone that liked our post liked us and we thought everyone that made a comment was was genuine we, we've yeah. been hardened, right? We've been hardened. Totally. And so for anyone that's like thinking about like, just own the fact that people see through that now. And so like, yeah. you're probably better off not doing anything in many of those cases than thinking that you're getting away with that condescending jab or that like subtweet or whatever it is that you're doing. But I do think like the flip of that is when you have like the, you're happy for someone, actually let them know, right? Like, like, yeah. it's, like it's a weird, it's a weird notion where people will say, Brian, I'm so excited you did this, this, and this. I saw all of these posts and I was like, thank you so much. I love that. And if I went and looked at those posts, there's not one comment, right? And like, little do they know that I maybe had imposter syndrome that day or I was doubting yeah. myself. And like, I mean, someone today, when I woke up, you know, I got emotional last night on the video that I created and someone that didn't know me found my video in there. She said, I found it on my Explorer page on Instagram. And she's like, I just had to tell you that I have been doubting men for the last three years on their ability mm. to be vulnerable. And I now realize that there are good men that are vulnerable. And I was like, and I told her, I was like, you have no oh. idea how much this comment means to me because it's going to empower me to continue to be vulnerable. And mm. I was like, and my, my only ask for you is that if there are other men that you see being vulnerable, send a similar message to them because the mm. only way that we can help kind of make that spread is by people seeing it because nothing worse than like putting yourself out there doing something scary 
and it's crickets. And like, you're like, well, I guess that didn't work. Why would I, why would I, you know, expose myself in that way? If I, if I like, if there's no feedback, or there's no without impact, without impact, without, it's interesting that you, first of all, that's so incredible, Brian. And like, this this is, we're full circle now. Okay. So I said, your, your audacious authenticity has always been your calling card. You just said, that's your why. Like, this is the deposit in your contenting currency bank that fuels you to keep sharing your truth. And that one moment has probably, that's going to carry you for like 30 more podcast episodes because that's yep. all we need. We don't need much. So if you have your favorite creators, like, please don't just be a voyeur. Like, please share and be brave and, and, and give us that. You know, we didn't even have stops for this podcast until like three days ago. I, we had something going on in the back end. We had a conversation with the team. I literally am like, is my mom listening? Is it? Well, we found out we're having like an average of like 10, 15, 20,000 downloads an episode. And I was like, holy crap, people are listening to this. So all of a sudden, like I got this call today and I was like, people are listening. Like, like, let's go, you know? And so, cause you yes. don't know, you have no idea, you know? And, and it's just, it really is beautiful and special. And, and I think that there is a beauty to the one-to-many commenting. I think there's beautiful moments in sharing in a public facing forum. However, there's also beauty in circling it back to the real for real, like the one-to-one. I mean, if you truly do feel that someone's made an impact on you, for me, it's great if you want to comment. Yes, there's good, better, best, right? Like good is comment. You know, better is like comment and share with somebody else. For me, best, comment, share with someone else and text me personally. So I'm the only one that sees what it really did because that's when it's the real for real. Now, no one has that much time all the time, but it's just when you do invest that little bit of, of just feedback and energy and connectivity, it just goes so far. So I certainly want to make sure to do better with your content, with giving you the shouts, with giving you the love, because you are such an inspiring human. You're one of my favorite people. I could talk to you for four hours as usual, but I just thank you for opening up and being on this podcast today. I know it was kind of like a heavy night for you last night. So I'm sure your engine was a little bit run down to hop on today, but I hope we rubbed it back up. And I just thank you for being you and for being here today. Well, thank you for having me on. Congrats. I love that you're, you're hitting those download numbers. And, you know, as podcasters, right, like for those that don't understand, like the nuance of podcasting, it's it's the most intimate medium of content, yet the most distant medium for understanding if oh. people even are listening or caring. So like that, that warms my heart. Um, oh. And Aaron, I'll tell you, I as yesterday was a rough day, I was literally counting down, looking forward to this conversation. I always, mm-hmm. you know, appreciate you. I always appreciate all the things that you know we have as as friends. And, and I think for anyone that's listening too, I think, you know, finding your people that, you know, we haven't been, you know, and it's on both of our sides, right? We haven't been as in contact over the last many months, but the beauty of it is that like we, we know enough and, and have established enough between the two of us that we know that if we need each other or if we, we have to come hang out on a podcast, we could talk for hours. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I'm excited to hang out again uh, in person, hopefully soon. Yeah, me too. So friends, definitely follow Fanzo if you're not following him. He's iSocial fans. He's at Brian Fanzo. Um, your NFT365 podcast, is that where you prefer people to come find you? NFT365? Yep, we're on season two. We're not daily anymore. I did daily for a year. Uh, we're doing four episodes a week. Uh, so still still a lot, but uh, four episodes a week for uh, season two. So yeah, NFT365. It's much more than NFTs and crypto. I try to talk uh, the entire like Web3 future of work movement. But yeah, check that out there. And uh yeah, you know, hit me up on your favorite social network. I, I'm everywhere creating content on every channel. So uh, yeah, pick your favorite and uh, give me a follow there. And you're on LinkedIn. You love LinkedIn, which I've been doing more of LinkedIn. You'll be happy to hear. 
So find Fanzo, definitely give him some love, give him a shout, follow his podcast. And thanks again, Bri. I love you. You're the best. Cheers. What did I tell you, friends? Brian brings the fire. He brings the storytelling. And most importantly, he brings real, workable, tried and true, road tested life and business strategies. Now you can see why I love him so much. And I know that now that you do too, go give him a follow over on Instagram and TikTok. And most importantly, subscribe to hear his NFT 365 podcast. Whether or not you're playing in the NFT space, Brian always drops such incredible nuggets around other topics like social, personal branding, and most importantly, mental health and mindset. So give him a follow, check him out. And I hope today's episode has helped you, like it's helped me, to live life just a little bit more on our terms. Till next time, friends.